Our teaching text for tonight, it comes from Luke 23, uh, verses 39 through 43. This is the passage, one of the passages we'll remember at the end of this season, but there's a really important word in here for us. Text says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're getting punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, you know, because our minds are confused and distracted by so many things, how a service like this with messages and theming like this could be taken by the enemy and, and twisted in a way that's like beating us up or shaming us. And I pray, Lord, that you, as we reflect on these themes and reflect on the scriptures, would give us the grace to see ourselves as you see us, truly more broken and sinful than we can imagine and simultaneously more loved than we could possibly dare to dream. And I pray as, as Emily shares and as we reflect on the scriptures and we reflect on our own lives, that your spirit would be at work among us. Thank you that you've put gifts in the whole church to serve the whole church. And so we pray as Emily comes that you give her authority from the Holy Spirit and may we have openness to hear your word taught. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hello. John's already said this, but today is Ash Wednesday. And for some of you, this may be a familiar experience. You've been to a service like this before, had the ashes placed on your forehead. Um, maybe you even fasted with your family growing up. Um, or maybe you were an overeager youth group kid who gave up chocolate for 40 whole days, except for on the weekends and spring break missions, obviously. Um, for some of you, though, this practice and this experience tonight will be new for you in your life in the church. And regardless, my hope is that we can enter in with a posture of learning, not just tonight, but for the next 40 days, a posture of learning that will give us fresh spiritual eyes and minds. Historically, Ash Wednesday is the start of the season of Lent, so it's the 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday where we're going to celebrate the death and the resurrection. It's meant to mirror the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert being tempted by Satan. And as John said, it's typically a dark service. If you've ever been to one before, sometimes we leave in silence. Um, it's marked by repentance and reflection. And then, of course, the ashes on the he our heads. So going back all the way to the Israelites in the Old Testament, um, they would put ashes on their forehead as a sign of mourning, of grief, fasting, if you're familiar with the story of Esther, if you remember when Mordecai learns that King Xerxes is going to have all the Jews in Persia killed, he puts on sackcloth and ashes. Um, Daniel, also, when he prophesies about uh, the Babylonians coming into Jerusalem and taking over, he pleads with God wearing sackcloth and ashes. The ashes symbolize their grief and their brokenness. 
It's kind of dark and depressing. I, I, I've always thought it's kind of a dark and depressing way to kick off the season that's supposed to be about renewal and rebirth. We call it good news that Jesus died, right? But yet we enter in anticipating this dark and depressing way. But yet I think we can learn from the Israelites in the early church because I think what they did really well is they were able to enter into their um, humanity and their hope and live in that tension. What I mean by that is that they were able to really well be genuinely sorrowful for their sin. They repented really well. If you read the Psalms, it's full of it. Think of David. But they also could exude joy for the hope they had in the redemption. And I think tonight and for the next 40 days, that can be true of us too. We can be reflective. We can be intentional. But we can also jump for joy that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. When John asked if I would share tonight, I actually knew the word right away that I was going to talk about. Um, it had been rolling around in my head for months. It's kind of like when you get a new car and you suddenly realize that everybody else drives a gray Honda Odyssey. And we heard that word in the words of the criminal on the cross next to Jesus. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember. So as I have been thinking about this word, I want to share tonight three things that I've learned. Three things that I've learned about remembering and what it can mean for us as people of God. The first is that we are forgetful. And it's a problem. So I actually wonder how many of you could tell me what you had for lunch a week ago. You don't actually have to tell me. It's rhetorical. Um, or has anyone ever killed a plant because they forgot to water it? You forgot to call your mom back at the end of the week. You lost your car in a parking garage. We're forgetful, aren't we? We are. Um, one of, and actually forgetting seems to come so naturally to us that neuroscientists are starting to say that it's the new overlooked field of psychology. I love this because there's irony in it. Think about it. We've forgot to study forgetting. <laughs> One of these neuroscientists, Michael Anderson, he's from the University of Cambridge, said this. He said, every species that has a memory forgets. Full stop, without exception, it doesn't matter how simple the organism is. If it can acquire lessons of experience, the lessons can be lost. We have almost four-year-old twins. We also have a seven-year-old. Hi, Ella. Um, and any woman who's ever had labor pains and still wants to have more children knows what it is to forget. I'll let you think about that one. <laughs> April 23rd, 2018, it was a normal Monday. You may not remember. I do because I happened to be 36 weeks pregnant with twins that day. And it started out very normal for me. So I woke up, had a little back pain, nothing major, took our daughter to ballet, had lunch with a friend, ran some errands. I even decided that Ellen needed a haircut. And so we did that. And then I drove 30 minutes south to Bixby where I got myself good and stuck in an elementary school pickup line which if you have ever been stuck in an elementary school pickup line, you know it's a place of deep reflection <laughs> because you're trapped. <laughs> and it was in this line that I started thinking about how my back had been hurting all day. 
and I just kind of felt off. And I started thinking that my back had kind of been hurting every two minutes all day. <laughs> so I thought, I'll just call the doctor and like let them know because their office is going to close at five. So I did. I called the doctor from the pickup line, and I'll never forget what the nurse said to me. She said, well, if you're having contractions, you should go to the hospital. <laughs> and that's when I woke up. It's like I woke up to how forgetful I had been because when I sat there and thought about what she said, I realized that this was exactly how I felt when I had gone into labor with our older child. In fact, I had just totally forgotten what it was like to have a baby, even though I had done it before. And the nurse was right. Also, they were born three hours later, by the grace of God, at the hospital and not in a pickup line. <laughs> um, it's easy to laugh about now. It really is. They're healthy. They're here. It's great. Um, but when I zoom out on what actually happened that day, it's really not that dissimilar than what, to what we do all the time. I wasn't paying attention. I forgot. I was focused on my own agenda for that day. And I think we can all relate. The problem of forgetting has actually been going on since creation. And we see that throughout scripture because of all the ways that God tells his people, whether directly or indirectly through the prophets, he tells his people to do the opposite of forget. He tells his people to remember. <clears throat> when Moses led his people out of Egypt and into freedom, they had just been slaves for 400 years and shortly after, they said, you know what, it might be better to go back. They had forgotten what it was like to be a slave right away. And this is what God said to them. He said, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord, your God, brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. When he gave them the Ten Commandments, he said, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In other words, remember that you were created Remember to rest. Remember there's a limit to what you can do. He knew we would forget all of these things. And the problem of forgetting also extends to the New Testament. When you think about Jesus at the Last Supper, John says this every Sunday. When Jesus spoke to the disciples, he said, do this in remembrance of me. When you take communion, remember what I did for you. This is my favorite one. At the tomb, we're going to say this verse in a couple of weeks, or in 40 days on Easter Sunday, the angel appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other women. They had gone there to put spices on Jesus' body, and the angel said the words that we all know. He said, he's not here, he's risen. But the very next word, we always stop, for, stop short, the very next word was remember. This is what he said to the women. He said, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Jesus had just told them what was going to happen. Then it happened, and they still forgot. Paul later encourages the Gentiles, so these are outsiders, typically, prior to Christ, outsiders to the covenant and the promises of God. And he said, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise. So we see clearly that forgetting is a problem, but why? Why is it such a big deal that God makes such a point in Scripture to call us to remember? And I think it's for two reasons. The first is that forgetting is the low-hanging fruit of the enemy. It's just so easy to, forget, to get us to forget. There's distraction everywhere. It's easy. 
One of my favorite um, teachers from Church of the City, New York, John Tyson, said this. He said, the enemy doesn't need you to deny God. He needs you to forget him. He wants you to forget the grace of God and remember your sins. The second reason that forgetting is problematic is this. I think it's that remembering is, or forgetting, excuse me, forgetting is always the precursor to idolatry. I'll say that one again. Forgetting is always the precursor to idolatry. That's why the Israelites, when they, um, excuse me, that's why Isaiah in chapter 44 says to the Israelites, right after they've made idols, the first thing he says to them is, remember, remember who you are. And we're not that dissimilar from the Israelites either. Think about the things that we make idols of in our modern culture, our pleasures, our resources, our talents, our treasures. All of these things come to power in our hearts and in our minds on the heels of forgetting who God is and what he's done. Have you forgotten about God? Maybe not in the extreme sense in that you've walked away from the church or him, although many have. But I wonder, have you made being mindful of him a habit? If I asked you to tell me what he's done for you, would it be on the tip of your tongue or would you have to work to remember? We're forgetful. And it's a problem. So if we know it's a problem, then the solution, this is the second thing I've learned, is remembering. And how do we do that? How do we practically make remembering part of our lives? Here's what I think remembering does for us. It connects us to God, it deepens our faith, and it restores our hope. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking about, okay, well, how do you do that? I'm a really practical person. How do I actually go about remembering? If it's so important, what do I do? And so I want to share part of my story to help unpack some practical ways for us to do that. The first way to make remembering part of our lives is to write it down. Almost a year ago, I got my first tattoo. Prior to that, I, I wouldn't really consider myself a tattoo person. But this day and this gesture was significant to me because it came on the fifth anniversary of my sister's unexpected death. My sister Lauren was, she was my best friend. She was my completely biased biggest fan. And her death was the hardest thing that has ever happened to me. And grief makes you do strange things. If you've ever walked through grief or traumatic grief, you know very well what it is to simultaneously want to forget and desperately want to remember. That's why you do things like get a tattoo. In the days immediately following Lauren's death, I was sitting at my mother-in-law's kitchen table and I just had this urge to write things down. It was kind of chaotic that week. And I just knew all of the sudden that if I didn't write down what was happening around me, I would never remember. I was so depleted, there was no way I would remember what was happening. So I did. I made a list. And the first time I looked at that list almost a year later, I wept. Because my list was filled with the ways that God had moved in the details of my grief. He had not forgotten me. And reading my list made me remember. It connected me to him when I was so disconnected. And I wonder what would be on your list. 
What do you need to write down now so that you'll remember it later? The second activity that helps us remember is saying it out loud. Is there anything more vulnerable than telling your story out loud? It deepens your faith because it's one thing to believe in your heart and it's another thing to say it out loud for people to digest. I know that because I'm doing it right now. (laughs) This message has been inside of me for a long time, actually. Um, It's been part of my story for five years. Um, But the process of writing it and having to say it out loud to other people, the process of, of thinking through what God has done, that process, it made me mindful. It made me remember. It deepened my faith. And scripture actually talks a lot about telling our story out loud. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. And my favorite is Matthew 5. Um, There's a demon-possessed man, and Jesus sends the demons into a herd of pigs, and they run into a lake and drown. It's kind of a crazy story, but kind of cool. Um, And then the man, when he's healed, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says this to him. He says, no, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. How many of us have had our affections for God stirred by hearing somebody else's story? Has your faith been deepened when you've remembered the work of God in your own life or in the life of another person? Jesus taught in stories. We, taught, we, we teach our kids that way. We read them stories so they'll remember. Maybe you won't be standing on a stage or teaching a class, but who can you tell your story to out loud? How can you remember the work of God in your life and then deepen your faith by saying it out loud to someone? Maybe you have coffee with a friend and you say out loud the things that God has done for you. Remembering connects us to God. It deepens our faith. And finally, it restores our hope. I had been walking with God very closely for the years leading up to my sister's death. But after she died um, that year, I didn't have a whole lot to say to him. I didn't have any new content for him. I was not interested in his content for me. I remember telling a group of women that I meet with regularly That if God wants to do something with this story and with me, he's going to have to just do it because I'm flat on the ground. And as I've been thinking about this message and this, my grief related to remembering, I've realized that my friends did something really important, really key. You see, when my grief made remembering the things of God impossible, I was rich in friends who reminded me. I couldn't see. I couldn't remember. These friends, they showed up for me. They prayed for me. They brought me food. They lived in my grief with me. I was like the man in Luke 5 whose, whose friends literally lower him through the roof to Jesus because he can't get there on his own. That was me. Sometimes I still am. Because, you see, the man in Luke 5 was fully healed. And this side of heaven, I'm not. I will be, but right now I'm not. And maybe you aren't either. 
Maybe like me, there are days and seasons and anniversaries where you would have no hope were it not for the people in your life reminding you that this is not the end. My friends helped me remember, and it restored my hope. Church, let's be a people who remind each other. Let's be people who help each other remember. I want to end on this. I put it at the end because if you remember nothing from tonight, I pray that it's this. It's the third thing that I've learned, and that's this. When our remembering fails, God remembers us. In spite of our best efforts, we will probably forget. We'll have seasons in our life, whether by our choices, by our circumstances, or just the brokenness of the world, there's plenty of it. It will be hard to remember the goodness of God. In fact, if we live long enough, our physical bodies may actually make it impossible to remember. But the good news for us tonight is that when our remembering fails, God remembers us. And scripture shows us time and time again that when God remembers us, he is filled with mercy and compassion, even concern for us. It said that in one of the verses I read. How beautiful is that? That's a loving father. He's filled with concern for us when he remembers us. When God remembers us, he takes action on our behalf. And hear this, when God remembers us, he forgets our sin. He forgets it. Psalm 106.45 says, But he took note of their distress when he heard their cry, and for their sake he remembered his covenant, and out of his great love he relented. When the criminal on the cross next to Jesus said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, we actually see a picture of Jesus in the most literal sense being mindful of us in his death. He's hanging on the cross. He's breathing his last breath. And this is what Jesus does. He remembers. Jesus remembers. He says to the the man next to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. When Jesus remembers us, he saves us. So what do we do with all of this? How can we make remembering part of our lives? How can we make remembering part of the next 40 days? In a practical sense, maybe you carve out some time and and write down what God has done for you. Maybe you make your own list. You don't have to be in a season of grief to do that. Maybe you ask a friend to get coffee and share your story. If you're part of an apprentice group, can you say your story out loud to them if you haven't already? It will deepen your faith. It will deepen the faith of the people listening. And who in your life right now needs to be reminded? Can you send them a note? Could you show up on their porch and remember that anniversary? Tonight, as we tune our minds to the next 40 days, my prayer for us is that we would be a people who remember. That we would be like the Israelites and we would build remembering into the rhythm of our life. Into the way we worship, into the way we live with each other, into the way we care for each other. And that in remembering God, we would repent of our sin. And that in remembering God, we would tell of all that he's done for us. 
And in our failure to remember that we would just sink into the gift of being remembered by a God who loves us so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Would you pray with me? God, would you remember us in your great love, in your mercy and in your compassion and your concern for us. God, would you forget our sin and would you help us to remember your goodness? May we enter the next 40 days being mindful of you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.